Indiana, and Illinois. There was a series of murders of young men, all murdered in the same way. Unfortunately, the culprit was very hard to pin down. As the murders kept going, they finally caught the serial killer. This is the story of Larry Eiler. Hello and welcome to Kelly's Coffee and Crime Chat. This is Kelly and I am recording, finally I'm recording episode 64 and I'm going to allow this to be published early in Patreon for a couple days and it will go on to my uh, podcast on Friday. So I just want everybody to know, and that's Friday, October, I'm getting my dates. Man, we're, we're flying through this month, aren't we? Um, that's the 27th of October. Wow. We've only got a week. Halloween is next week. I am amazed. Wow. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I am drinking Java Mama Spellbound Mocha Elixir. Now this is part of our three pack of the Enchanted Elixirs and they're only available in October in a three pack and you get all three at a discounted price. There's one that's unflavored but it has a little undertone of chocolate and there's um which is the Spellcaster's Brew and then there's another one um a cookie fla- uh, uh, cookie flavor. It is um oatmeal chocolate chip and it is a sp- I'm trying to remember the name of it the Keeper's Cookie. A cookies keeper is, is what that one is but they will be available in singles I think after October but it's nice to have all three of them this one is probably my favorite out of the three it is a velvety rich taste of chocolate and vanilla with a hint of hazelnut hazelnut magic and it's so good so I'm gonna have a drink and I'm going to introduce huh, episode 64 I've got my my big travel mug here, so it takes me a little while to... Okay, here we go, to get a drink out of it. (laughs) Now, I don't know if anybody out there has ever heard of Larry Eiler. I have recently, and there's one reason I have heard of him, and I'm going to get... That'll come up here. Uh, But there is a lot here. As I was researching this, I thought I should make it a Patreon episode because it's so long, but... I'm going to go ahead and put it on my podcast. And then the Patreon episode is going to be a Halloween one. And that will also be on Spotify subscription. Now, Spotify is all free. There's only certain ones that are that you have to subscribe. And it's the same price as Patreon, which is $5. And um, so I usually I've been doing three bonus episodes a month. So this will be the third one. The Halloween one will be the third one for October. So um, here we go. This is episode 64. My source is wikipedia.org. Larry Eiler was born December 21st of 1952 in Crawfordsville, Indiana to George Eiler and Shirley Kennedy. George was an alcoholic. His father was an alcoholic who abused his wife and kids physically and emotionally. Now the couple divorced in 1955. So... The kids, um, Larry and his sister Teresa, 
were ended up with foster families and babysitters. Um, they did have two older siblings. The oldest was 10. And the older siblings sometimes would care for them. The 10-year-old ten, the being the oldest. Um, now, Shirley worked two jobs as a waitress in a fa- and, and in a factory during the week. And then she sometimes bartended on the weekends. And she would visit her kids when they were being fostered. So she did see them. Um, she remained married, or she remarried in 1957. That lasted about a year. Then she married again in 1960. And that one lasted about four years. Again, getting married in 1972. So that would be her fourth marriage. One of the stepfathers would hold Larry's head below very hot, scolding water to discipline him. I don't care if I was married to somebody and they did this to my kid, they'd be gone. They, that would be it. Now, Larry went to St. Joseph's School in Lebanon, Indiana, and he was bullied since he was poor, came from a poor family and a divorced family. And um, Teresa, his sister, would be the ones to confront the bullies. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to look up where Lebanon, Indiana was and where Crawfordsville, Indiana was. And I'm thinking, because I've never heard of him. And of course, I forgot to do that. And I'm wondering if they're more north Indiana. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's why I'm thinking. Um, Now, their mother put Larry in a home for boys because his behavior was erratic and he was horribly stubborn. Well, okay, I think that's a lot of boys. (laughs) A lot of men are very horribly stubborn. I'm not saying everyone, but, you know, I've had, I've known my share, put it that way. Now, he hated, he, (laughs) he hated the home that he was put into and he begged his mother to let him come home. She let him return just after a few weeks. So he wasn't in there very long. Larry took some psychological testing and he had average intelligence and had a horrible fear of abandonment plus separation anxiety. And that very well, I know that my parents were divorced. I was never put in a foster home or anything, but I get the separation, separation anxiety and fear of abandonment. Um, so they recommended Larry be put in a Catholic boys' home in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He was only in there for about six months before going back to mom. So it was like he couldn't, he didn't want to be alone. Um, sounds very familiar a little bit to Jeffrey Dahmer. But entering into adulthood, Larry told his family he was homosexual. Now he did date girls in high school. But that was all it was. It was just dating. He did struggle with his sexuality. He failed to graduate high school. But he went back and got his GED, which is what you go back, uh, general education, to get your diploma uh, if you quit high school. He got a job shortly after this as a private security guard in Marion County, in the Marion County Hospital. And um, he lost his job six months later and worked at a shoe store and I never heard how how he lost his job but during this time he got out into the Indianapolis's gay community going to gay bars and having some casual one night stands with men I'm going to put um, some trigger warnings in here but while he was having sex with the men he would shout the words bitch and whore while not looking his partner in the eyes. Um, He liked leather, and by the mid-70s, he was known as a good-looking, laid-back dude. 
and was also a bodybuilder. Some said he was sadistic and got violent during sex. He'd inflict knife wounds to their torsos. Oh, boy. Okay, not killing them. Okay, he then worked as a house painter and lived in a condo in Terre Haute with a science professor, a 38-year-old man, Robert Little. And his name's going to come in more at the end, toward the end of this. Um, so he lived with this guy named Robert Little. He met him at Indiana State University in 1974. And they were not a couple, but Larry thought of him as a father figure. Now, he was a, a, a professor, so um, science professor. So um, I guess a teacher, Larry, would think of him as a father figure. He lived with them. There was nothing going on sexually. Robert was very unattractive and socially awkward, but would engage in sex with the men Larry brought home. So it sounded to me like it would be like threesomes. Um, that's my guess. But um, on August 3rd of 1978, Larry picked up a 19-year-old hitchhiker named Craig. His name was Craig Long, and he picked him up in Terre Haute. Larry started making passes at him right away. So Craig got out of the truck. He was just a hitchhiker. He wasn't gay or anything. So he got out of the truck and he, and, or he tried to get out. So uh, Larry then held a knife to his chest saying he didn't, uh, Craig said he didn't have any money. Well, Larry drove him to a field and told him he didn't want his money. He made him undress and handcuffed him, bound his ankles and told him to get into the back of his truck. Craig started to run when Larry was undressing himself, he was undressing himself and Larry went after him. So when he started to run, Larry went after him. <laughs> Craig shouted, you queer. That's exactly what he shouted. And while he was running away. Now, Larry got to him, stabbed him in his chest. He penetrated his lung. Craig, uh, Craig Long held onto life and made it to a house where they called an ambulance. Then I have never heard of this. Larry goes to that house and gives the officer, the police officer, the handcuff key that Craig had, Craig had been handcuffed. And he told the officer that he stabbed Craig by accident. Okay. So they arrested him and found a hunting knife, a butcher knife, another set of handcuffs, a metal tipped whip, whip, tear gas, and a sword all in his truck. Okay, there's some red flags there. He was charged with aggravated battery. He pled guilty and was released on bail at $10,000. Money was raised by his friends. And I think a lot of the time he got bailed out by the guy he lived with, which was his last name was Little, Robert Little. So, um, yeah, Robert Little put up $2,500. Larry's, uh, or on, sorry, uh, I'm skipping ahead here. On August 23rd, Larry's lawyers, lawyers offered Craig Long $2,500 from Robert Little. So Robert Little took $2,500 and offered it to Craig Long if he wouldn't press charges against Larry Eiler. Well, Craig accepted it, and then Larry was able to change his plea to not guilty. So he was acquitted on November 13th and was fined $43 in court costs. So... I guess when money talks, you can get 
people off. You know, it seems like that's how it, it's been like that since, oh, since I can remember. Okay, I had to get my coffee in. Larry got with a married man in 1981. I'm not sure how to pronounce this guy's last name. His name was John um, D-O-B-R-O-V-O-L-S-K-I-S. Sometimes I've seen his name without the S on the end. So Dobrovolsky, Dobrovolsky, I'm going to say that. So he was married and he had two children and three foster children. Now he lived in Chicago big family his wife Sally was okay with the relationship between Larry and John Larry even paid a third of the rent since he stayed with them so it was all okay his wife didn't care she knew about his sexual orientation so John and Larry were both into sadomasochism which is BDSM Larry would bind John to something and beat him Then Larry would curse at John before they'd have sex. Even though John was married, Larry wanted them to always remain together and not sway from the relationship. So he'd accuse, he, Larry would accuse John of infidelity. Robert Little, on the other hand, the professor did not like John and he, and hated that Larry was in this relationship with him. So it almost sounds like a triangle here, sort of to me, but Larry traveled between Illinois and Indiana for work um, because he was a house painter and a liquor store owner on Saturdays. Now, he was a liquor, liquor store owner in Greencastle, Green Indiana, trying to read my handwriting. And um, I guess the house painter, I think, when he house painted was in Chicago or by Chicago. So on October 12th of 1982, Larry lured Craig Townsend, who was 21, to get into his truck in Crown Point, Indiana. Larry beat him, drugged him, and abandoned his comatose naked body in a field. But the victim survived. Then on October 23rd, Larry took a 19-year-old man, uh, a 19-year-old named Stephen Crockett. Now, 12 hours after Larry killed Stephen Crockett, his body was found in a cornfield in Kankakee County. He had been stabbed and beaten, 32 knife wounds, and four to his head. October 30th, Edgar Underkoffler, if that's the right pronunciation, disappeared in Rantoul, Illinois. He was found on March 4th in 1983 in a field by Danville, Illinois, over by Danville. So the murders started happening in the early 80s. Um, there was also on November 20th, a 19 year old hitchhiker named William Lewis was found stabbed and buried in Indiana. And I cannot pronounce this. If I can read my handwriting, Rensselaer, R-E-A, it looks like R-E, maybe it's R-E-N-S-S-E-L-A-E-R, Indiana. I cannot begin to try to uh, pronounce that town. Now, the next month, Larry killed a barman, John Johnson, who was 25. He was found a month later in Lowell, Tennessee. Um, And then, oh my gosh, on, it's like they're all here together. It's like November, October, November, 
December. So the hitchhiker William Lewis, who was stabbed and buried in Indiana, was after Larry killed a barman, John Johnson, in Lowell, Indiana. I think both of those were in November. So now December 19th, Larry took a 23-year-old named Stephen Agan, A-G-A-N, in Terre Haute. Um, Stephen was found close to Indiana State University on December 28th. And there was human flesh found on the walls of an outbuilding on a farm close to the crime scene. He could have been against the walls as Larry stabbed him. And he had extensive mutilation showing rage on his abdomen, chest, and throat. They thought more than one person killed him. Another body was found in Putnam County that day, 21-year-old John Roach. Injuries were similar to Stephen Agin. Now, these, these names are going to come up toward the end. I know it's going to be hard to follow with all the names, but they're going to come up again. So even for me, when I was researching it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that guy, you know, because this was so long and there was so much to uh, unpack. Um, December 30th, a Yale graduate named David Block, he was 22 years old. He told his family he was visiting a friend in Highwood, which was near Highland Park, where he was last seen. Now he was found May, and this was, this happened on um December 30th of 83, he was found on March 7th of 1984, south of Illinois Route 173. So that's a long time. I mean, oh my gosh. January 24th of 1983, Irvin Gibson was 16 and he was taken and killed by Larry in Lake County, Illinois. Now here's a trigger warning, which I I don't like this, but, um, so I just want to tell everybody, um, I, I kind of, I, I'm, this is a vague, I'm not going to get any, any, uh, graphic description here, but he wasn't found until April 15th. So he went missing January 24th, found on April 15th. His body was on top of a dog who was also killed. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say how or what. So I just wanted to put that in there. I don't like anything with animals. I, I just don't like it. Um, Larry Eiler is believed to have murdered a minimum of five more people between March and April of 1983, between 17 and 29 years of age. The body of Daniel McNeve, M-C-N-E-I-V-E, 21 years old, was found close to Indiana State Road 39 in Hendricks County, and he had 11 knife wounds to his neck, five to his back, and 11 to his abdomen. One wound made his small intestine protrude outward. He had marks on his wrists and ankles that appeared to have been from binding. They were like welts, and his jeans were all the way down to, uh, around his ankles. But it, no sexual assault, as with the other victims. So there was no sexual assault, but his pants were pulled down. Oh, okay. <laughs> Nine days later, Richard Bruce, 25 years old, was murdered by Larry in Effingham, Illinois. He had been thrown from a bridge. He wasn't found in the creek below until December 5th. So that was nine days after Daniel. I don't even have a date on here as far as when this when this was. Um, a gay newspaper called The Works created a telephone hotline, and this was 
awesome. And um, they speculated in an article who the killer was and his motive. I don't think they said his name. Um, I'm not sure, but his motive, who he was, you know, what he, the type of killing he does. Plus, they mentioned that he struggled with his sexuality. The paper even offered a $1,500 reward they get if, they, if anybody had any information. And the gay community, plus a family of a victim, gave to this money to help find the murderer. Indiana State Police held a meeting with 35 detectives in four jurisdictions where bodies turned up with similar wounds. So they are really trying to find him. They formed a tax force named the Central Indiana Multi-Agency Investigation Team. They contacted the FBI and described the murders, the murderer's MO and how he disposed of the bodies. His uh, MO is like his um, um, modus operandi is what it stands for. It's his um, I, I, routine, I guess, uh, uh, how he does his killings and, and um, how they're all killed similarly. So um, they requested to be contacted if any victims match the same pattern. So it's like the same pattern that he does his, his murders in. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, it didn't take long. A Lexington, Kentucky resident named Jay Reynolds, 29 years old, was found stabbed to death in Madison County on March 22nd. Then Chicago, Chicago investigators reported a Jimmy Roberts, 18 years old, found with 35 stab wounds in Thorn Creek on May 9th. The task force dubbed the murderer the Highway Murderer. That's what they called him. June 6th, Larry Eiler's former lover, Thomas Henderson, who I don't remember that name earlier in the story, but he had a former lover. This Thomas Henderson called the hotline saying he thought Larry was the killer. He also told them about Craig Long, the first one who he stabbed but survived, and then Robert Little paid him off. He also said that Larry had a violent temper and loved bondage. He also told them where he lived in Terre Haute and where he worked, also that he drugged a 14-year-old. Investigators believe Larry was, te was testing drugs on that boy. So he, he drugged him, but he survived. And since nothing else, you know, nothing else happened to him. So they believe that he was testing out drugs to see like the effects and, and you know, how much to give him. So they did a background check and found that he, he, they found what he did to Craig Long, which matched the highway murderer's MO, especially since Larry traveled between Indianapolis and Chicago. So it was right around Indianapolis. And um, that's where he traveled between. The FBI put together a profile. They predicted he was a white male in his late 20s or early 30s who had self-hatred of, of his attraction to men. He lived on the edge of homosexual panic and afraid of being called a queer. He would try to eliminate his, murder, his murderous acts by covering bodies with dirt or leaves. They figured he was strong since victims were of athletic stature. A Hispanic man was found dead partially nude on july 2nd he was in a field outside paxton in ford county illinois he was repeatedly stabbed and had been dead for a few days and um near illinois route 60 on august 31st ralph calice 
C-A-L-I-S-E, another name that's going to come up again. He was found with 17 stab wounds. He was 28. His wounds were so bad, his small intestine was protruding, protruding in sections through his body. Oh my gosh. His death was similar to two other deaths in Lake County and two other males in 1982. Also been stabbed and found with their pants and underwear pulled down around their ankles. And that was in Kankakee County, Kankakee County and Lowell, Indiana. So this was the sim similar death from two others. All five of these murders were added to the victim list, which now equals 17 young males. So, October 4th, a torso was found in Kenosha, Wisconsin. It was inside a plastic bag. It was it was 18 belonged to 18-year-old Eric Hansen and was he was last seen on September 27th in St. Francis. The rest of him had been dismembered by a hacksaw. His torso was drained of blood and his skull and hands were never found. Four other bodies were found on October 18th and 19th, close to an abandoned farmhouse in Lake Village, Indiana. They were partially decomposed and partially buried. Three of them were white and they were buried on one side of an oak tree. They were three feet apart. The fourth victim was a black teen and buried on the other side of the oak tree. I thought this was very bizarre. Like, almost, I don't know if he, I, I wouldn't think he killed them all together. You know what I mean? It, it, it was just odd to me that you would, I don't know, for one person to do this. And I don't know if they were killed at separate times, but this is another story that's going to come in toward the end. And um, it was in Lake Village, Indiana, at an, an abandoned farmhouse. He used a weapon. The weapon was at least eight inches, an eight, eight inch blade, at least eight inches. And they all had more than 24 stab wounds. Also, pants, their pants were down around their ankles. December 7th, a partially buried skeleton was found in Hendricks County. Richard Wayne, 17 years old. He was... He was, um, he was going home from California on March 20th, and he was found on December 7th. He lived in Indiana, Montpelier, Montpelier, Indiana is where he lived, and he was traveling home from California. Another body, not as decomposed, was found a few feet away from Richard Wayne. He was under a burnt mobile home. His remains were never identified, but he was determined to be a, he, he, a black male at, and stood five feet, nine inches. Larry was arrested on September 30th in Lowell, Indiana for a traffic violation. He had, young he had a young hitchhiker with him. So he had charges against him for soliciting a male for sexual purposes. After both men were questioned, they were interviewed. They found nylon rope in Larry's truck. So his truck was impounded. That should have been it right there. They should have, I don't know what the procedure is for keeping somebody, but this, these are all red flags. They interviewed Larry and told him he was a suspect in many murders from an anonymous phone call. 
He denied being involved and would not say anything about his sexual orientation, but told them he read about John Roach and Daniel McNe- the Daniel McNeve murders. And um, he gave them permission to search his vehicle. He told him, go ahead. He, he let him take his mug, mug shot and let him take his figure, fingerprints. And he told them he would take a polygraph on a later day. I never, I don't even think I ever found out if he took the polygraph. <coughs> Excuse me. They found the nylon rope, knife, handcuffs, a hammer, two baseball bats, a mallet, and surgical tape in his truck. His tire pattern and imprints of his boots matched plaster casts that they took by Ralph Kalise's body. So they have all this evidence. They have all this evidence pointing to Larry Eiler. He was charged with Ralph Kalise's murder on October 29th. He had a $1 million bond. He maintained his innocence and said if he killed anyone, real evidence would be there. There was a problem. Larry had never been arrested for anything other than soliciting for sex. They searched his home he lived in with his married lover, the married guy, Dobrovolsky. They did it without a search warrant. And the judge ruled that the boot prints and tire tracks that they found and that they took with the plaster casts were tainted. I don't know how that happened. If it did, I don't know how. The search was in violation of his constitutional rights. He reduced Larry's bond to $10,000. Larry was let go. He was freed on February 6th of 1984. So all of these other murders took place in 1983. So, what in the world? Because, sorry, I know I know that you can hear my papers move, <laughs> turn anywhere. Um, yeah, because he was arrested for the traffic violation on September 30th, and then he was freed on February 6th. He wasn't allowed to leave Illinois, though. So, because of the terms imposed on his bond. So he ended up just moving to Chicago four weeks later. Robert Little, you know, the the professor, quote unquote, sugar daddy. I don't know if it's actual sugar daddy. I wrote that in quotes here or in parentheses so I could remember who he was. He helped with his bond. Plus, bought his new furniture and paid his weekly rent in his new apartment in Rogers Park. He also bought Larry new tires for his truck. Larry was advised by his lawyer to not tell his married lover that John Dobrovolsky where he lived. But John found out. I don't know how he found out. I don't know if he ended up telling him. I don't know. On August 19th of 1984, Larry was back to his sick games. Luring a 16-year-old Daniel Bridges. This is another important name. Daniel Bridges to to his apartment. Daniel knew Larry's victim, Irvin Gibson, who was one I uh, mentioned earlier, and he had been a male prostitute since 12, but he was straight. This is Daniel. He's not gay, but he was a male pro- he's been a male prostitute since he was 12. He knew of Larry and called him a real freak to a reporter, I guess. He, uh, he must have gotten interviewed and called him a real freak while Daniel was beaten and tortured in Larry's apartment bound to a chair and stabbed to death Larry cut him up in his bathroom into eight pieces 
He drained all the pieces of blood and placed all of them into bags. Daniel was found on August 21st of 1984 by a janitor. His body parts were inside of a garbage dumpster, not far from Larry's apartment. So the janitor's name is Joseph Bala, and he took the bags from the dumpster, and the first one tore open and revealed a leg. He didn't even realize it was body parts in these bags until that one tore open. Um, Joseph said that other janitors saw Larry put the bags in the dumpster the day before. The police captain knew Larry's name and ordered the other officers to take him in. They already knew, you know, all about Larry Eiler. So Larry Eiler was arrested in his apartment. His bedroom had been cleaned and repainted, but there were traces of blood splattered across the floor, walls, and ceiling. So um, blood belonging to Daniel Bridges was found on a mattress, a chair, a sofa, and under the floorboards by the bathroom, outside the bathroom. Daniel's bloody clothes were in Larry's closet and in a hamper. They also found a hacksaw. Receipts that showed he bought more blades for the hacksaw were found. Larry's fingerprints were on the bags that held Daniel's remains. A luminol test showed marks on the floor as if Daniel Bridges had been dragged from the bedroom to the bathroom where he was cut up in the um, the bathtub. He was dismembered. Um, Larry Eiler was char charged on August 22nd with Daniel Bridges' murder. Of course, he said his fingerprints were on the bags by accident. When he took his own garbage out to the dumpster, he must have moved the bags and, you know, got his fingerprints on them. The autopsy found many wounds that were made by a type of awl. Now, awl is like a mini ice pick. I have one for my crafting to poke holes in and binding my journals together. So it's like a little mini ice pick. And um, they also found an awl in Larry's apartment. His trial was on July 1st, 1986 in Cook County, Illinois. Jury deliberated for three hours before finding Larry guilty of aggravated kidnapping, unlawful restraint, and the murder of Daniel Bridges. He was sentenced to death by lethal injection on October 3rd. Larry Eiler was transferred to Pontiac Correctional Center on death row. They found he suffered from borderline personality disorder. And that was uh, after they did all these psychological tests. Um, he filed an appeal saying he dismembered Daniel, but Robert Little, the guy that he looked to as a father figure, the professor, killed him when Larry was not there. So Larry wasn't in his apartment. So this professor that he lived lived with at one time that was paying all his bills was the one who killed Daniel. And then Larry must have come home and dismembered him. This is a story. This, of course, was dismissed. This, this was dismissed and ex ex execution was to be on March 14th of 1990. <coughs> Excuse me. A lot of talking. Now, he had more appeals and on November 5th of 1990, you might recognize this name, Kathleen Zellner was appointed to represent Larry. I think I accidentally typed Catherine in the 
in my notes, but it's Kathleen Zellner. And if everybody does not know who she is, she's really good with finding people innocent who really are innocent. She helped Ryan Ferguson. And um, if anybody watches Making a Murderer on Netflix, she is representing Steve Avery. And I thought there's two seasons on Netflix and I thought the third one was coming, but I haven't heard any more about it. So Larry agreed to confess to his culpability, but still said Robert Little helped with the murder of Stephen Agon. Now, if you remember that name, Stephen Agon, in December of 1982. Because Stephen Agon's crime was brought up by a prosecutor who had the evidence to support his claims. Along with the murder of Ralph Calise. Larry agreed to confess to to confess and testify against Robert Little for a fixed term instead of the death penalty. They accepted this and Larry gave Catherine Zellner a 17-page confession on December 4th. So on December 13th, Larry pled guilty to Stephen Egan's murder and testifying, testifying against Robert Little, who participated in the murder. That's a Stephen Egan's murder. This is what he says. A polygraph test was the result of Robert being found out as Daniel Bridges' murder. So they did a polygraph test on Robert Little and said, he's guilty. Well, I didn't think polygraph tests were admissible in court. So unless it was back then, I just thought that was very strange. Larry got a 60-year sentence on, this is Larry Eiler. He got his 60-year sentence on December 28th to be served with his, his existing sentence. Consecutive, consecutive. And so he does not have life anymore. Now he's got 60-year sentence. Robert Little, 53 years old, was arrested and charged with Stephen Egan's murder. But he was found not guilty after the jury took seven hours to deliberate on April 17th. Larry Eiler died at the Pontiac Correctional Center on March 6th of 1994 from AIDS-related complications. Kathleen Zellner persuaded Larry to let her release his confession publicly after he died. The families could get um, closure. So he let, he said yes. She persuaded him. So she was able to release the names of, and descriptions. If, they were, if the names were not known, she released the descriptions of 17 victims who were killed by Larry Eiler by himself. Four other victims who he murdered with Robert Little, if that really happened, who Catherine never... Robert Little's name was never, Catherine never named him in the press conference. She just said it was somebody else who participated. So on April of 2021, this is an update. One of the four bodies that were buried by the oak tree at the abandoned farmhouse, one of them, it was, this was in Lake Village, Indiana. One was identified by genetic DNA as John Brandenburg Jr. of Chicago. Another victim, these are in the or, the orders of when they were found. So he was found on, let's see, it was, okay, hold on a second. Okay, 
This is the second victim. Another victim was found in October of 1983 in Jasper County, Indiana. He was identified as William Lewis of Peru, Indiana. Another victim from that same farmhouse by the oak tree was identified. And he was just found this past July of this year, 2023. Found by genealogy as Keith Gibbs. Three remain unidentified. And one has never been found. There, um, the the three that who, that remain unidentified, sorry, is a Hispanic man aged twenty to twenty-five. He was found in Ford County, Illinois, July second of nineteen eighty-three. an African American man aged twenty-five to thirty-nine. He was found December seventh of nineteen eighty-three in Hendricks County, Indiana. And the third one is a Caucasian man, age 16, well, teenager, age 16 to 19, found April of 1984 in Cook County, Illinois. So those are the three that have not been identified. And there was one other one that had never been found. Now Kathleen Zellner practices in Downers Grove, Illinois, and will never defend someone she thinks is guilty after Larry Eiler confessed to these 21 homicides. That was it for her. She now helps people uh, who she believes is innocent. And while she's helping people who she believes is innocent, she'll find out if they're really guilty. You know, she will find out. And she tells their, her clients, I will find out if you're guilty. And so um, that's awesome. She's awesome. John Dabrowolski, um, Larry's married lover, he stayed with his wife in Chicago and died in July of 19... Er, January of 1990 at the age of 29 of AIDS. Robert Little went back to teaching his same position that he had in Indiana. He has always maintained his innocence. Oh, so that is the story of Larry Eiler. You talk about a lot here. I mean, it took me days to get all this down, to get all these notes down to, 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 and there's a lot more. There's a lot more I did not talk about. There's a lot of detail in the, in the trial, but I knew this was going to be a long one for once. I got a long one, but, um, I think I have one more episode that's about this same, um, time. And it's a really good one. Um, Christy Doyle, it's way back. I forget what, um, uh, Princeton, Illinois, and I forget what number it is, but that's highly recommended. That was a good one. So that's all for today. Phew, I'm going to have this up on my pa- Patreon for early access. Um, if anybody joins Patreon and it will be on the other ones, it'll be on Spotify subscription and Spotify. And um, I could release it on Spotify subscription, but I don't really know how to do, I, I don't really want to do that because it's going to be, this one's going to be free on Spotify on October 27th. So that's where it'll be posted on there. And then it'll be on Patreon today. So, so it'll be on there for a couple days. That's all for today. Have a wonderful Halloween. If I don't see you or well, I'll have my Halloween episode on Patreon, but I want everybody to have a safe Halloween I love seeing photos of um, costumes. If you're on my Instagram, I would love to see photos of your costumes. 
<laughs> Instagram or my Facebook page because I love Halloween. We don't get trick-or-treaters. We buy Halloween candy for us, yeah, but we don't get trick-or-treaters. But I'm so into the 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 fall and the it, today is like a very very gloomy gray sky day, but the trees make it beautiful. The beautiful vibrant trees against the gray sky. It's just a really beautiful day outside. So um, I haven't watched anything lately. I did watch Sleepy Hollow again, which I've seen that many times. Another awesome one, a good awesome one. And uh, Sleepy Hollow and Ed Wood. Ed Wood's not really a Halloween type of spooky movie, but it gives you that feel of the season. And I love that movie. Both of them with Johnny Depp and both of them done by Tim Burton. So, um, <laughs> but I like both of those movies. Uh, Sleepy Hollow just has that cinematography that just sucks me in. And I'm getting ready to watch the Halloween franchise. And I'm getting ready to, I need to do my reviews of the Scream franchise and the Halloween franchise on my YouTube page, Kelly's Coffee and Movie Chat. So if anybody's on YouTube, look me up at Kelly's Coffee and Movie Chat. I'm going to be doing some reviews. And I love spooky season. It is wonderful. So that's all for today. Everybody have a, a wonderful week weekend spooky season and I will see you next time